Hear the word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. Merciful God and Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the promise that your word endures forever. May your word endure forever in our hearts. May your spirit speak to us this morning by the power of your word. May you encourage us and strengthen us and bless us as we sit at your feet this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, I recently heard someone talking about uh, the Air Force in the UK and the US and this problem that they've been trying to solve and having distraction in the cockpit. You know, pilots can sometimes, apparently I'm not a pilot, believe it or not, but pilots can get overwhelmed with all the message systems that come over, um, all the message sounds and lights, you know, the warnings and flight systems and mission systems and air traffic control and and other pilots. And in high stress, high combat situations, um, sometimes pilots can ignore some of these messages, which is not good, especially if that message is, you know, missile alert. You kind of need to remember that one. Um, and so the UK had this idea, hey, let's actually change the, the tone of the voice that's calling out these, um, these warnings. And so they had this idea that they were going to have these warnings sound like an attractive woman. So in intense situations, the voice would come across the speakers and say, no incoming missile uh, or low fuel. Or, I don't know. I, don't, <laughs> I shouldn't have done the voice. I apologize. Uh, but pilots would call her the Nagy Nelly. And, uh, but again, even in high combat situations, they would still tune out even Nagy Nelly, believe it or not. And so, you know, the Americans, uh, they took the British idea and made it better, like we tend to do. And, uh, and they, they took this idea and they modified it a bit. And it, instead of using the voice of an attractive woman, they actually used the voice of children. And not just any children, but they actually used the voice of the pilot's own children. And so, you know, when a pilot would otherwise tune out every other voice across the Across their system, they would, this voice would come and say, Daddy, check your fuel. You know, Daddy, incoming missile. <laughs> and when pilots would otherwise actually tune out every other voice, it was this voice of a child, their children would actually cut through the, the noise. Uh, his, his voice, the voice of children, the voice of this intimate and intimacy, this voice of relationship would actually be heard. And, uh, you know, in this second of seven letters to these seven churches in Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, Jesus comes to his people in, this, in a, in a high-stress, combat-type situation with his voice, with his words. 
You know, maybe you, you noticed this already last week, but the beginning of each one of these letters that we're going through kind of actually points out and focuses on one of the attributes from John's vision that happened in, in chapter one of Revelation. Uh, last week's focus on Jesus and, the, and the, the one among the lampstands, which is Jesus' presence to be in among his church and his people tending to their flame that they shine brightly. And this week, I think we see his words on display for us, right? This is the voice of the one who is the first and the last. The voice of the one who once died but now is alive. This is the voice of Jesus. And this is his voice of love and relationship that he comes and speaks to a suffering church that they might hear his voice. And this church in Smyrna was indeed a suffering church, a church who needed to be encouraged and strengthened because they were struggling in the midst of the chaos, the voice that they were hearing and struggling with was the voice of fear. And as persecution for them became more intense, their temptation to fear grew more intense. Uh, and you know, and even for us, I think that the voice of fear is a strong voice for us. Uh, it's often the loudest voice in our, in our minds. Uh, one of the largest motivators for us is actually fear. Because there's a lot to be afraid about if we're honest. Uh, you know, maybe here and you wonder, will I get, ever get married? Will I have a family? Uh, will I resolve relational issues? Will my children be safe? Will our country continue its trend towards insanity? Will I lose my job one day? Will I find work if I'm looking for work? And on and on. You know these voices. You have to put up with these voices every day. These voices of fear. And Jesus comes to Smyrna, who's struggling with fear, and he comes to you and I who still struggle with fear, and he says to us that I am the first and the last. Listen to my voice. He comes to call us out of fear into faithfulness, and even in the most intense situations, his call can be heard because his call comes from a voice of love. And so this morning, there's an invitation to come and to hear the voice of Jesus, this voice of relationship, this voice of love, that it might cut through the, the noise of the world uh, and to your hearts that you might hear it. And I think there's, there's two aspects of the voice of Jesus that are on display for us this morning. I think that the first is this, that the, that the voice of Jesus speaks to our deepest fears, right? He, he doesn't pretend like they aren't there or that they aren't real, but he speaks to them. And secondly, the voice of Jesus strengthens us to remain faithful until the end. And so first, the the voice of Jesus speaks to our deepest fears. And so we had this church in Smyrna and it was suffering under much persecution. And under this persecution, they weren't giving up their faith as some might do when you experience the intense pressure. You might just say, okay, you're hurting me. I'm just gonna give up on Jesus and then you will stop hurting me. That wasn't what they were doing. They were actually growing fearful under the persecution. And Jesus' Jesus's voice comes to this church and he speaks to their fears. And I think he speaks to their fears in, in two ways. First, he names their fears. And second, I think he, he identifies with their fears. So first, Jesus speaks to, to our deepest fears by naming them. In essence, when he's naming them, he's saying, listen, you may be afraid of this, but I'm not. I'm not afraid to speak it. And I think there's just four fears in this text that he highlights here. And the first is this, the fear... Of, of poverty. Look here at verse 9. It says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. You know, Proverbs is a book that actually speaks a lot about wealth and poverty and compares the rich man to a strong city and, and this poverty that makes you vulnerable, like a city with no walls. 
And uh, you know, when you're impoverished, you have no backups from when things go sideways. You're vulnerable. And for this you know, pastor and, and this, for this church, they were vulnerable. They were impoverished. They had nothing. You know, one of the reasons for this was not just because of bad luck, luck of the draw, but it's actually uh, because of their faith. You know, much of the work in this day revolved around uh, pagan worship. And so if you were a mason, so to speak, you, uh, you know, you're building buildings and crafting things out of stone. Well, much of the mason work would have been revolving around building pagan temples and pagan idols. And so uh, if you didn't want to do that, then you'd be out of work. And so this is part of their tribulation was that they were impoverished because of their following of Jesus. Uh, and it was causing much fear for them because without resources, you can't provide basic things like food and, and roof over your head. And, uh, and I think everyone understands that fear of poverty. Poverty brings along with it much shame and embarrassment. And Jesus is saying to them, listen, I know your poverty. I know you're impoverished because of me, because of your faith in me. I see it. Though you have nothing, though, he says, in me, you have everything. In me, you are rich. So the first fear that he names is his fear of poverty. The second is this fear of rejection. Here in, also in verse 9, he says, in the, in the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. You know, this slander, is this rejection. The church is being slandered, which is this speech that right, will speak negatively about you. It defames you to other people. And uh, so how was the church being slandered? Well, you know, I mentioned in an, in an earlier sermon about how the, the early church was made up primarily of Jewish people who had been converted. Uh, and there were, there's, there's a lot of connections that we can make about this. But what I want to focus on is this, that from the Roman perspective, they actually didn't quite understand the difference between Christians and Jewish people. Um, and uh, they all looked the same to them, following this strange God named Yahweh. And uh, and because of this, though, the Jew Jewish people were afforded certain freedoms because of their religion. Normally, you, you would have to actually worship Caesar, but they, that the Romans knew that the Jewish people would uprise if they did that. So they said, fine, we're going to give you higher taxes, but you don't have to worship Caesar. And so, uh, and so the Christians at first, they kind of fell under this, this loophole. But in an effort to destroy the Christians, because the Jewish people did not like them, or some of the Jewish people did not like them, uh, Jewish leaders would go to Roman rulers to speak poorly about the Christians. They're, they're, you know, these guys are not like us. They actually don't worship the same God as us. And this kind of put them under the thumb of Rome and caused lots of persecution and pain and death. So this is one of the slanders and rejections that they're feeling. But not only that, the, the early followers of Christ would sometimes lose their relationships with their own families. If not, everyone in their family turned to follow Jesus. And so they became rejected by family, rejected by their society, and in some cases, they were hunted down and murdered. Being slandered against is, is a painful thing. I mean, likely everyone in this room has probably been slandered on some level in their life. And uh, when someone spreads rumors about you, speaks ill about you to others, uh, it hurts. And it, it's one of the worst feelings to be rejected by other people. Nobody wants to feel rejected. No one wants to lose family and friends. No one wants to be a social outcast. This is a deep fear. And Jesus says, listen, I actually see your rejection. I see that these people are slandering, and yet I still say, fear not. You know, one just quick aside here. There's a statement in here about the, these Jews being from the synagogue of Satan. 
might seem a little harsh to our ears. Uh, what, is, what is he talking about? Um, well, some have actually used this to promote some sort of anti-Semitism uh, in speaking against Jewish people as a whole, but that is not what this is about. You know, remember Jesus is actually still a, a Jewish man uh, in heaven. He still has a Jewish body. John who wrote this book, book was, was Jewish. Most of the church at the time was actually Jewish. You and I are spiritually Jewish, the Bible tells us, as we um, are sons and daughters of Abraham by faith. So this, is, uh, this isn't saying that Jewish people are bad and that they're of all of the synagogue of Satan. What this is saying is this though, that those who align themselves with the world and speak against God's people are ultimately aligning themselves with Satan. Satan, you know, his name, he's the great accuser, the great slanderer. And so slander is actually aligning in alignment with Satan. So by implication, it means that the, the opposition we face, face is, is not against flesh and blood, but is demonic in its influence. And so Jesus says, listen, I know the fear that you're experiencing. I know the great slander that's coming against you, the accuser that's coming after you. Yet again, I stay, say to you, fear not. The third uh, fear that, that he addresses, that he names, is, is uh, this political turmoil. You see this here in verse 10. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. And, uh, you know, these, these people are not being thrown into Jewish prisons, but they're being thrown into Roman ones. You know, if you read through the book of Acts, and you know, my Bible reading plan is taking me through Acts right now. The apostles are constantly getting thrown into prison, in and out of jail. Uh, and uh, because of their testimony of Jesus. And he's saying, listen, do not fear. Do not fear this. If Jesus experienced political persecution, you will too. I think this is, uh, you know, something that can easily take our gaze, take our fears today. This, this is a deep fear for many of us, I think. You know, one person talks about fear is functionally a hyper-focus on something. All right, the things that we're hyper-focused on are often the places of mo our most fear. And for many... We can be hyper-focused on politics. And if you are hyper-focused on politics, it's often an indication this is something that you're actually afraid of. That you're afraid of what's gonna come your way via the state. And Jesus is saying, listen, I know the threats around you. I know the danger. I'm not saying the danger isn't real, but I name it. Do not fear. Which leads finally to the final fear he names here. It's the fear of death. He says here, be faithful unto death. And I think this last fear that he names, this fear of death, you could easily see is that it's the fear behind, I think, all fear. Uh, poverty, rejection, prison. The, the fear behind them all is that you don't want to die. And those three are all types of death that lead to a final death, which is a physical death. And, uh, and we will do almost anything in our lives to avoid death. And here Jesus says, listen, be faithful even to that point. To the point of your greatest fear, be faithful to death. Even if they take your life, you do not need to be afraid. It's kind of interesting. Jesus doesn't ignore our fears. He knows them. He names them. I think there's a, there's a power that comes when we name the things that we're afraid of. It's the unspoken things that often have a hold of us in our lives. And which is one reason why every week, you know, we recite the Apostles' Creed. It's an essentially, we declare, I'm not afraid of death. You know, there's this um, one fun fantasy book that I loved a while back. And in this book, this person learns the, the name of the wind. And to learn the name of the wind, this ancient name, uh, means that you actually have control over the wind. 
You have power over it. You can actually use it. Uh, and you know, by naming their fears, Jesus isn't minimizing them as if they aren't fearful, as if they aren't real threats to them, or if as if they're not real suffering, but he, he's actually putting them in their place. He's saying, though they are scary, we do not need to fear. So he declares boldly, do not be afraid. Which kind of begs the question, how can we possibly not be afraid when fearful things are actually happening to us? Uh, if, if any of you have ever struggled with anxiety or fear before in life, this feels like telling a car to turn on without a key. It doesn't work like that. And yet, Jesus comes commanding, do not fear. And, you know, this, this, this command feels and seems like an audacious claim. Sure, Jesus, it's easy for, for you to tell us not to, not to fear, uh, but, but you're God and we're just mere mortals. We are weak and frail. Our bodies are, are breakable and there's people who want to break them. How can we not fear? It's, insane to, it's an insane thing to say to suffering people. Unless, unless Jesus really does have power over our fears, unless he's actually tasted our fears, unless Jesus really actually has conquered them and stripped them of their power. And in conquering them, transformed them from our deepest fears to places of hope and faithfulness. Because Jesus comes with this voice of love. He reminds us of these deeper truths that speak even to our deepest anxieties, that even touch our deepest anxieties, that Jesus not only names our fears, but he actually identifies with them. Remember, this, this letter here to Smyrna begins reminding them that he is the one who tasted death and who rose again. He is the one who was rich and became poor. He is, the, he is a stone that the builders rejected, rejected by his own people and murdered. He is the one who went into the prison of the grave. He can speak to your deepest fears with hope because he tasted your deepest fears and rose victorious over them. He knows the names of your fears and he is Lord over them. He has power over them. Your deepest fears have met their match in Jesus. This is why he can say to you, do not be afraid. The question then is, well, how do we actually do that? Like, how do we actually walk in faithfulness when our worst fears are actually coming true, which is happening here to this church? These aren't just theoretical fears, like many of our fears, that death was imminent for them. So how do they actually live out this command to not be afraid? Well, what we find here is that as Jesus speaks to our deepest fears, he also is the one who strengthens us to remain faithful until the end, uh, even if our fears appear to win. So this is the second thing we see here is the voice of Jesus strengthens us to remain faithful. I think there's, there's, there's two commands here in our passage. The first is do not fear, and the second is be faithful. The aim of all this is faithfulness, to be faithful until the end. I think there's, there's a couple aspects to us remaining faithful that we find here. And the first is this, that we need to embrace the inevitable. That we need to embrace the in inevitable. Look with me back here at verse 10. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. He doesn't say to them, do not fear if you happen to suffer. He said, this is, this is actually going to happen to you. You are going to suffer. It is part of his promise to this church. You know, often our fears are about what might happen in life. All the unknowns and all the, the good things tend to overwhelm us. Uh, but here, it, it isn't an unknown. It is a certainty that their fears, their greatest fears, are actually going to be realized for them. 
because the powers that hated Jesus also hate his followers. And they will do to them what they did to Jesus. It's inevitable. And if your expectation is that following Jesus is going to be an easy thing, that you won't experience pain, that your greatest fears will never come true, he's saying that you're not going to actually endure it to the end. So he tells his church, listen, expect it. Embrace it. So that when it does come, you aren't surprised. So you don't get whiplash, caught off guard when it comes. But be faithful in your pursuit. Hold fast. He says, I don't say these things to scare you, but because I actually want you to make it through to the end. So this is a, a thing he does to prepare us. He also says here, he says, you know, this is a, this is a test, which kind of begs a question, right? Why does he actually need to test us? You know, if you ever listen to the, the radio, you often hear the funny noises that, that come across and say, this is just a test, you know? Well, why do they test these systems? It's so that they know they work. Why is our faith tested? So that we know that it actually works. You know, anyone can follow Jesus when they have no needs in the world. But where do we, you and I turn when our fears are realized? When money is gone, when you're in prison and rejected by everyone you know, when death is at your door. This is when you discover actually what you believe. It's not in the good, but in the hard, in the ugly, in the, in the compress of life is where our faithfulness is seen. And he's preparing them for this inevitability. And he's saying, embrace it. It is coming. You know, this kind of reminds me of that scene, for those who've seen the movie, What About Bob? When, you know, Bob, I don't need to give you the backstory if you haven't seen it. If you haven't seen it, this is your assignment. You should watch it tonight. It's a funny movie. But, you know, Bob is this guy who's deeply afraid and anxious. And, uh, and he happens to be at his therapist's vacation home. And he's with his therapist's son. And his son is also anxious and fearful, and they're coming to grips with the reality of death, and they say over and over again, I am going to die. I am going to die. And they say it over and over again, and it kind of becomes a battle cry for them. And, uh, and by just embracing this truth that I am going to die, uh, they, by embracing this inevitability, it actually kind of gives them courage and ability to overcome crippling fear. And Jesus is telling us, listen, this is going to happen to us too. Embrace it. Do not ignore it. And he doesn't say lay down and give up on life, but embrace that. Following me will mean suffering, but keep going. Remain faithful. Keep walking. But you may be thinking as I say these things, uh, listen, I don't really like how that sounds, the whole suffering thing. Um, how can we embrace suffering? It's, suffering is not fun. Well, we can only embrace this. Because of the second way that I think Jesus' voice strengthens us towards faithfulness. And it's that Jesus knows the end of the story. Jesus knows the end of the story. Look with me here at verse 8. It says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last. Jesus has the first and final word. Jesus knows the end of the story because he wrote the end of the story. Listen, if I told you, you know, this whole Jesus thing, he's got a 50-50 chance of beating Satan in the end. Or even maybe I said, eh, it's a 70-30. He, he's definitely the, the odds-on favorite, but, you know, upsets happen. Or even maybe it's like a 99-1, to 1, you know, there's a 1% chance that he could lose. You might be like, well, yeah, I'll take my chances right now and choose not suffering. Thank you very much. Um, however, because Jesus has actually already finished this story, he's already written that we can be faithful because suffering it's not our end, but life everlasting is. Right, the, the end of Revelation gives us a glimpse of this future, of vi victory. A life with no pain, with no suffering, with no tears. This is a place where there is no fear. 
and no need to fear. This is what awaits you and I. It is a sure thing. There will be days still on this side when you're overwhelmed with fear because that is part of our reality. But Jesus' promise to his people has never been that, listen, your life is gonna be easy here and now. But he has promised that your suffering is temporary and everlasting life is eternal. Suffering is temporary. This is our hope. And we actually, we see it again here in this text when it says that, you know, for 10 days, you're gonna suffer. Which is just kind of a strange thing to point out. Just 10 days, why 10? I think they suffered longer than 10 days. What's this about? We're here again, this is actually a reference back to Daniel. And if you remember Daniel and the three men who refused to participate in these feasts, dedicating the food to the gods of Babylon, and instead of eating the food uh, that was sacrificed to idols, I said, hey, let us eat vegetables and drink water. And uh, which actually many people have turned into this Daniel diet thing. It's ridiculous. Don't do that. That is not what that point, the point of that is about enjoy meat. It's good for you. Um, but so they, they had this diet, vegetables and water and they, that lasted for 10 days. Jesus is saying to this church, remember that story. Remember Daniel. Uh, remember Daniel and his companions who went through affliction because they wouldn't bow their knee to Babylon. In the same way, you will experience this. Because you follow Jesus, many will come against you. And there are times it will be intense. But friends, it will not last. It has an end date. He's saying, I know because I wrote the story. You can endure to the end because I'm with you, strengthening you with my voice. He's like a coach encouraging his players to focus, speaking to us now. He's saying, take up this momentary cross so that you can receive this eternal crown of life. And in the end, our, our fears become transformed into gateways to everlasting life that's found in Christ. Christ who conquered the grave. So do not fear, but remain faithful. And this crown of life is yours. Suffering, although real, although extremely weighty, although fearful, is not our end. And in this, Jesus has this unique way of speaking to things uh, truthfully without minimizing the pain of them. He's not minimizing the pain of fear. I mean, Jesus himself cried over the death of a friend even though he brought him back to life moments later. Friend, the, we should lament pain and suffering, but it is not our end. The crown of life awaits us. And life that we are promised has no poverty, no pain, no suffering, no rejection, and no fear. So be strengthened by this promise of life. Embrace the inevitable. Following Jesus will bring suffering sometimes, but remain faithful because your suffering is temporary, but life with him is forever. You know, this doesn't mean, though, that, that we have to live perfectly without fear to obtain this. Of course, there's going to be days in our life where fear overcomes us. Jesus is, is training his people. Listen, keep your eyes fixed on me. Jesus, our Savior who goes before us, our Savior who conquered death, he is our hope. Our hope isn't ultimately in, in our strength to hold on and our ability to, to be faithful at every turn, but, but Jesus who goes before us, who has already been faithful at every turn in tribulation, Jesus, who became poor to make us rich in him. This is the one who leads you. He is the one who speaks to you. He is the one who dwells in you by his spirit. And he is the one in your midst strengthening you now. It is in him that you can endure. To the great conqueror, the great victor over death. So he's saying, set your eyes on me. Make, make Jesus your hyper-focus and he will help you endure and remain faithful until the end. So even when fear creeps in, you just need to refocus 
on the voice of Christ, which is calling to you, saying to you, do not fear, I am with you. Do not fear, I am calling to you. If you focus on hope, you will remain faithful to the end and not even your deepest fears can pull you from the grasp of our Savior. May we be a people who do not lose sight of this hope, but may our ears be tuned to the voice of Christ and may the Lord keep our eyes fixed on him and his voice that we may be a light to the world. Amen. Pray with me. Holy Father, we pray that we would indeed tune our hearts to hear your voice speak to us, your children. That you would call us from fear into a place of love, into a place of faithfulness that come what may we endure because we are in you. Bless us, encourage us, strengthen us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Friends, I invite you to stand and join me in the Apostles' Creed as we join the church of old reciting what we believe. Church, and what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into the grave. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Another way we respond to uh, God and worship and in much joy is the giving of our tithes and offerings, remembering that everything that we have been given ultimately does not belong to us, but we're stewards of the things that we have been given. And one of the ways we steward is by giving the first of what we have back to the Lord, trusting that he who has provided will continue to provide for us. To give to St. Andrews, you can give uh, at the tithe box in the back of the room to my left, or you can give uh, online at the website uh, provided. Join me now for a time of prayer. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. Hear the prayers of your people. We pray for the church wherever she is gathered. This morning we pray for the church in China that she might have the strength to endure, that she might have the courage to maintain her witness, that she might be comforted even in her tribulations and that in the end we might all rejoice in her victory. Shepherd of Israel, we also lift up the church here in Yakima that she might present, be, be a faithful witness to these needs of our city. Strengthen our church here in St. Andrews that we might be a faithful and enduring church with our eyes firmly set on the hope that we have in you. Shepherd of Israel, we pray for our corner of the Christian world and the Presbyterian Church in America. May we as a collective remain faithful and united in our hope in you. May our local presbytery grow in the bond of unity and brotherhood. 
And may other church planters be raised up and sent out all over the Northwest to establish new communities committed to the hope that we have in you. O shepherd of Israel, we pray for our country. We pray for those who lead our country, both local and countrywide. Grant them wisdom and grace. Grant them curiosity for the truth that comes only from you, that they might govern in all justice and all truth. O shepherd of Israel, we lift up all the people and the families in our church to you. This morning we lift up the, the Hader family to you. Be with Ben and Anna as they enter into the busy season of, of harvest. Give Ben joy and peace and wisdom in this season. May he be a light and encouragement to those who work with him. May their children continue to grow in the love of God's word, that they might know and love your voice and give them continued unity and joy and strength as a family. Praise and honor and blessing be to you, O God, and to the eternal Son, our Savior. We pray now as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.